Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to Uncut Sports Talk, featuring your host, Rhino, Brian Cashman. I've known for a long time that you have no clue about baseball, and you literally go into a little room that's set up Moneyball style. You got four-eyed Bill in there, reading off algorithms about players' talents, successes, whatever you guys punch into those things, you know, skills. But for Christ's sake, can you move away from the computer one time and let me enlighten you on something? We won 100 fucking games in the regular season last year. 100. We got our tits absolutely blown off in the postseason. And let me enlighten you on something else. Judge Plain! And your co-host, Paz. The NFL is a joke. Um... The players, I feel bad for the players, honestly. Like, there's a lot of guys that probably, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys on that New Orleans team that, you know, are, are the 53rd man on that roster. And that extra $75,000 that they would have gotten for going to the Super Bowl, um, you know, in terms of the playoff checks, is probably a huge deal to them. I feel really bad for those guys. Um, I don't really give a shit about the, the, the top guys as much, obviously. But, I mean, like, lives are changed. Careers are changed. Um, you know, even the coaches, too. Same thing. Like, there's a lot of those ancillary coaches that if they get their, you know, their their offensive line to the Super Bowl, maybe they're up for, a, you know, a, a, an offensive coordinator job somewhere or, you know, something like that. It, it, it's, it's just a, a, a snowball that starts at the top of the mountain and just completely continues gathering momentum, gathering growth until it, it hits the bottom guys. And unfortunately, those are the guys that suffer. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Uncut Sports Talk, Thursday edition, April 11, 2019. I'm your host, Rhino, here with co-host Paz. What's going on tonight, buddy? Not much. You sound very somber. Everything all right? <laughs> nah, man, I'm good. Just went a, a real crazy week um, getting used to this new schedule, and uh, NBA is, fuck, is for fags, so... I shouldn't say that on air, but, you know, NBA is what it is. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, did you have to travel in this week or what? Uh, yeah, a couple of days. i got to go back tomorrow. Oh, gosh. Friday? Going in and out of the city? Yep. Oh, good. Yep, you're right. Uh, uh, all right. We're going to do a uh, NBA playoff preview. <clears throat> the playoffs start on Saturday for some or most. Uh, and so we're, you know, we won't be back up till Monday. So we'll get this out of the way here first and then get into some more interesting stuff. I know a lot of people love the NBA. So, hey, uh, it's for some, not for me. While the NHL, I think, brings a lot of excitement and um Word am I looking for? A lot of excitement, a lot of guessing, competitiveness, uh, unknowns. I, you know, the NBA, um, not so much when you have some teams that are in, <clears throat> despite Tampa Bay being two to one, uh, which is pretty fairly high. But uh, even early on the season, I believe they're eight to one. Uh, you know, the Warriors are actually like minus one twenty, which for people that don't bet is like putting down one sports bet uh, to start the season. So that's pretty. St- Pretty stupid, honestly, but um, neither here nor there. Uh, we'll go through here. 
like I said, it's just not doesn't hold that much excitement, doesn't hold the upsets, you know. Uh I think like I think I saw that the Warriors are like minus twenty thousand to win this series. That which for everybody again, if you don't know, that means you gotta put twenty thousand dollars to win a dollar on them just to win this series. I mean that's pretty ridiculous if you think that. But um we will start on the top, all right, if you want to call in, I, like I said, I know there's a lot of people that love the NBA, like they love the NFL. Be my guest, please. I would love to hear um, some, you know, knowledge or whatever that I <clears throat> definitely don't possess. Six five seven three eight three one six nine two. We'll start at the top left. Really, not much to say. Uh, Clippers take on the Warriors. Um, look. Um, I don't know. Uh, though, I, you know, I think the Warriors are had some issues this year, struggle a little bit, uh, have had a lot of drama with the refs, have had a lot of inside locker room drama with, as I brought up several weeks ago, Durant uh, selling his permits or whatever you need for the businesses in California to bring them all to New York. Uh, I'm sure that us, you know, regular Joes weren't the first to hear that rumor. I'm sure the locker room knew it first or before the rest. Um, so, look, um, just a lot of drama going on there. Do I think that has an effect on them against the Clippers? Not so much. Um, they got the Marcus Cousins, who should be in uh, in form now. Um, Beverly will have to cover Curry and really get under Curry's skin. A very good defender, but... Um, uh, and that's really kind of Beverly's game. But after Curry, there's Durant. After Durant, there's Thomas. After Thomas, there's Cousins. Um, and then you got Draymond Green there, too. So uh, good luck with that. Um, I just, I mean, there's, like I said, there's not much. There, we could preview a couple of these. But um, I will give props to an L.A. Clippers team who really <clears throat> um, – they basically just tried to get rid of everything at the trade deadline. Um, and they were all in for getting out uh, this year to build for next year or the years upcoming and um, end up making the playoffs as an eight seed. I understand 16 teams in the NBA make the playoffs, which is also ridiculous, but neither here nor there. Doc Rivers uh, should talk about him for coach of the year. Pretty impressive, but uh, I'm going Warriors in four. Uh, Pretty simple here. Pause. Yeah, I'm not going to waste too much time. It's Warriors and four this series. I mean, maybe game three will be a little competitive um, just because it's, you know, the the Clippers making their last, last stand. But, uh, yeah, uh, Warriors in four. And But, yes, you're very right about Doc Rivers. Um, great coaching job to get them to this point. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're – I don't know what their their plan is going to be now. Obviously, that they're not in the lottery and, you know, moving forward, um, you know, I'm sure they'll probably go the route of trying to sign somebody rather than, you know, maybe try to get Kawhi there or, or something like that if the, the Lakers can't pull that off or whatever, what might have you. But um, it'll be interesting to see which, which way they go. But, yeah, this is a uh, warrior sweep. All right. So that was that's the one eight in the West. Underneath them, one of the more compelling series, uh, more competitive series, I would say, 
four five four for Houston and the five for the Utah Jazz. Um, Houston comes in here really not expecting things to kind of play out the way they did to end the season. I believe I know they at least had one game, and I'm I'm fairly certain they almost had two games because I want to use a couple of their guys in Fanduel since they still have the play to get the number one uh, the number two seed uh, faltered in them. Uh, and, um, you know, the season's final night, the, net, the Nuggets ended up uh, having a chance to get the two seed and the Trailblazers with the three seed, uh, and then Rockets had to face the Jazz. Um, and just the way the things played out, um, you know, things got shuffled around, and, you know, they ended up not being able to uh, secure their two seed. They drop down. Denver takes the two. Portland goes down to the three, as I kind of mentioned. Uh, and, you know, had the ability, at least I know for a fact, in one game to be able to seal that and uh, possibly two games. Uh, you know, no no, uh, no denial, no, you know, look, you don't have to be into the NBA to realize that literally James Harden basically has to carry this team on his back. Chris Paul is always injured when he plays, yes, effective. Yes, they had the Warriors down 3-1 last year till he ripped the hamstring going down the lane. I understand all that. Uh, but uh, this is a guy who's broken four or five records this year for amount of shots taken, whether it was from two and or three and or both combined. Um, really just, I, I I mean, he's kind of there, everything. Capella, nice little piece for Houston, but I mean, there's better. Uh, Paul, as I mentioned, nice piece, nice point guard. I, I Probably a top five point guard in the game uh, in the NBA. Yeah, okay, that's fine. I'll give that to you. But uh, this, this team kind of really goes with, you know, how – how Harden is shooting, um, and uh, man, I, I, he, he, they, you know, they really, they really just go with him. Um, <clears throat> they, they've shown that when all clicking with him, that they could really run anyone off the floor. Uh, when healthy, they could really want everyone off the floor. Uh, but you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, Utah's got the likes of Donovan Mitchell. Uh, very nice player. Uh, Grayson Allen it has gone off the last uh, since he got called up about eight games ago. He's been playing for them really well. Um, they have uh, I always mess up the two guys. They have joke. They're Jokic is their guy, right? I believe. I always mix the two up. No, the one with the, what, who, which Jokic one is theirs? Jokic is on the Nuggets. Um, Who's their big white guy? The, the Jazz have. Uh, no, they don't have. They have. Uh, oh, England. They have uh, Inglis. He plays. He plays yeah, like down low, but guard. yeah, but he doesn't play the guard. He plays in in the paint a lot. Yeah, but I mean, he's still a guard. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. All right. Uh, he's more of a forward, but that's all right. Neither here nor there. So they got. They got in Glaze, who's had a, a real good year. They did a special on him a couple weeks ago I watched, and uh, it's very interesting. Uh, don't know if Grace Allen will actually make the playoff roster, but he's really uh, – I saw – I want to say it's like 17, 8, and 4. He's been averaging over the last, I want to say, nine games since they brought him up. Uh, they got Rubio, who, in my opinion, uh, for what they – what he was touted to be for all those years over and over and over all you hear about Rubio Rubio. I don't think he's really lived up to it. Uh, he's always kind of a 
mid-level pick in, in uh, uh, the point guard spot in FanDuel, a uh, mid-level player to me. I, I don't think he's lived up to his hype. Uh, maybe it's the hype that he hasn't lived up to, and he's just, you know, the same player that he was, you know, projected to be. But what, what people think he was supposed to be, I don't think he's lived up to that. Uh, they got the combination of Derek Favors and Crowder, too, who um, – Look, they kind of do their thing. Crowder's a nice glass cleaner. Favors is more of, I would say, more of the scorer. Crowder, more of the rebounder, blocker, defensive player. Um, they're two nice pieces. They're all right. But uh, for me, you know, maybe Pops will go differently because I know his feelings about Houston. But I, I just, I when I look at these two teams, I just think Houston is the better team. Um, and I, I'll go Houston, although I do think this is this is slightly closer um, than the experts think. Let's see here. What is the – so the Houston is – Houston's minus 300. So um, I guess I, I wouldn't say it's much closer than the experts think. That's right about when I have it. I was going to go Houston in six, and minus 300 is basically Houston in six. So um, right around where the experts think. But I I, I would say, uh, like I said early on to start, I think this is one of the more competitive ones of, of the series that are going. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if this one floated either way, where, you know, some of these, if something happened, like the Warriors, uh, like the Bucks, um, like Toronto, uh, like, you know, those ones would really shock me uh, there. So I'd say this one of the more the competitive ones. So I'll go Houston in six here. Pause. Yeah, I, I don't really like this jazz team all that much um i i don't know what it is about them i i just don't i don't i don't like them as a as a team and as a playoff team i don't think and i'm not, look like you said i'm not in love with the rockets either i don't think they're all that great and you know basically rely very heavily on just one player albeit a very very good player um but yeah i i got the rockets in five in this series i think Houston will probably grab game three just because it's back at the altitude and, you know, where they've been, where they're a little more well-conditioned and things like that. But uh, the Rockets just lay over them in terms of uh, talent and, uh, you know, just, just better players kind of all around on the court. And I can't, I can't, unfortunately can't side with the Jazz as much as, as, much as I would like to. Um, so, yeah, Rockets in five. All right, underneath them, the three-seed Portland Trailblazers and the six-seed Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, for me, this is – I actually, this is a team, Oklahoma City, that I watch quite often. Uh, it's, I love Russell Westbrook. He's probably my favorite player. He's definitely my favorite player in the NBA. I like watching LeBron equally. Uh, but anytime that Westbrook is on TNT or the uh, two games of the week that ESPN holds or the weekend game or the, the Fox game of the week, I always tune in. Uh, I just, while, yes, um, he has his qualms with his style of basketball, um, I can never take any shade on a guy who literally goes 150% on every single play. Uh, and I think that's more than you could say for, I would even go far as, 93% of the NBA players because, um, look, they take plays off. And this guy just never takes a playoff on either sides of the ball. Um, the things he does with his son, who has a little bit of his own deficits, I just uh, – I greatly appreciate Westbrook. And, look, uh, I know the things with the fans, whatever. Um, 
they shouldn't be that close anyway. That should be something while he shouldn't say what he says, they also shouldn't be able to, you know, use the N word sitting one row right there to, into these guys' faces all the time. And it's not just Westbrook. It's a bunch of them, neither here nor there. Um, so I will take the, the, uh, upsets that usually don't happen in the NBA playoffs uh, as the Oklahoma City is the sixth seed. Looks like they are plus 122. Uh, maybe I'll dabble for some fun and throw 25 bucks on it, 50 bucks or, on it or something, and, you know, whatever. But um, let's see. So the, uh, you know, Trailblazers are really all Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, both very, uh, very good players. I like Lillard a lot too, and I know Westbrook and Lillard are very close uh, friends. Uh, Lillard's a nice player. McCollum, good shooter, very hot, cold though. Uh, Oklahoma City is, you know, Westbrook and George. They have a couple small pieces. Adams, I, I mean, eh, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lose my mind over uh, Stephen Adams. He's, he's a nice little piece. Um, uh, DeAndre Schroeder, who they got that they were really excited about, has really been done absolutely nothing for them at all this uh, this season. Um, who else? They have uh, they have that uh, Grant, very good athlete, okay player. Um, and then for the Trailblazers, they like I said, they got Lillard, very good player. They got McCollum, that is their shooter. Uh, uh, just off Nurchik, but didn't he? Is he hurt? I thought he. Or did he break his leg? No, that's Jokic that broke his leg. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. All right, so yeah, Nurk, okay. Um, no, oh, no, this time right. around they're Nurkic also dealing the with the loss. Yeah, 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 that's why I thought it was him. Yeah, yeah because, Nurkic is, uh, okay. you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's so he big, broke his leg, which is a huge loss. Yeah, because he's one of the better, much better big men. He's probably one of the top five, seven big men in the country or in the NBA. Uh, another guy, which is this new style, really. And hey, this is where the NBA is gone. You got to go out and be able to shoot. And he's one of those guys that is out there shooting threes, uh, has a mid-range jumper, and can work inside, pull down the paint stuff. So that would be missed. But like I said, like Stephen Adams, eh. Uh, I, I don't think it's not like he's going to go and pose as well. Like, like some, you know, uh, someone else could do the likes of cousins or Al Horford or, you know, Anthony Davis, uh, you know, if it, with those drama, those types of guys. So to me, this really is like, you know, uh, Westbrook versus George and Lillard versus McCollum and Lillard versus McCollum have really str- uh, struggled in the playoffs while young, I understand. Uh, so I, it, to me, this is two versus two and I'm going to go Westbrook, uh, George, and also, uh, look, I don't really like the NBA all that much, but I'm going to lean for a guy who I know I'm going to watch all seven games in root for and a team that I know fairly well. Cause like I said, I've seen them at least, I'd say probably about 25, 30 times this year. So, uh, I'll go thunder. They'll be away, huh? So I'll go thunder in six and I'll probably throw a little bit, a slap a little bit of money on a plus plus one twenty two series price. Pause. If, I'm just going to preface this by saying if Nurkic wasn't injured, I think this is a fairly easy series win for for the, the Trailblazers. The, the Thunder have looked very good this season at times, but then they've also just looked like a dumpster fire at times. And not knowing what you're going to get from them on a nightly basis in the playoffs just spells disaster for – you know, trying to trust a team like that, especially against a team like, um, you know, like the the Trailblazers, who at the other four positions, other than, uh, you know, other than probably shooting guard, 
probably have the advantage over um, over the 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 Thunder. I mean, look, we can argue you can argue Lillard against Westbrook, but I will I'll take Lillard any day of the week over Westbrook um, and twice on Sunday. That's just my opinion. Um, so yeah, it's really just McCollum who probably doesn't have the advantage over Paul George, but everywhere else the the Trailblazers have the advantage over the the Thunder. So if Nurkic was playing, this would like I said would be a fairly easy series win. But I still think Portland is going to be able to get it done. I I think this is going to go seven, but uh, I have Portland in seven in this series. All right. Um, Next one. This is another one that's very interesting to me. Um, I haven't got to see the Nuggets play that much this season, but uh, Nuggets as a two seed, Spurs as the seven. Um, Vegas has the Nuggets minus 240 series price. Um, Let's see. So the Nuggets, they have Jamal Murray, who uh, has had a okay year, has been hurt a lot in and out of the lineup. They have Joe Kick, Nikolai. He's very good. Top three, probably top three, at the least, probably top three big man in in, uh, all of basketball. Um, The Spurs have Aldridge. I think the difference here is if I, I don't, both Aldridge and uh, DeMar DeRozan are known players that have drastically, drastically struggled with playoff demons in the past. Um, one of the reasons the Toronto GM last year said they want to ship DeRozan out was because of his playoff woes. Aldridge was getting booed out. Uh, I believe that was last year was getting booed off the court last year for his playoff struggles. And um, to me, it's like, uh, I just uh, I can't back to Rosen uh, there. Despite like I, like listen like I don't really like Gary Harris. Uh, he's been like ridiculously embarrassing this year. Um, but you know they have they got Millsap. Mason Plumley has had a decent a decent year. Um, I, I I just think I, I just like the Nuggets roster a little bit better here. I, I, I the Spurs thing, especially with the fact that the the, the Spurs two best players uh, are literally are just absolutely awful uh, in the playoffs. Uh, I really really want to take another upset and back a, a team that will be clearly coached well. Um, I'll go Nuggets in six. I think I've used six for all, huh? Four six six six. Yep. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Uh, I, I'll go Nuggets in six. I, I think Pop is intelligent enough to make this a, at least a little bit of a series, but I, I, I can't. I can't back two guys that are just drastically atrocious, uh, and and their games change completely when it comes to the playoffs. Pause. Um, I I actually really like this Nuggets team. I think uh, you know. I think they will be contenders for the Western Conference title um, ultimately when it comes down to it. So I, I think this is a fairly easy series victory for them. I, uh, I will take them in uh, – I'll just take them in five just to be safe because I think, like you said, you know how well the Spurs are coached and things like that. They'll probably grab one of their home games. They may, who knows? They might even grab game one. And then the Nuggets go on a four-game win streak, or you know something like that. So I'll take uh, I'll take the Nuggets in five. All right. Uh, semifinals would 
have for me Golden State Houston and Oklahoma City Denver. Let me ask uh, let me ask you a question. Do okay. they do they reseed in the NBA anymore? Your guess is as good as mine, buddy. I'd have no clue. <laughs> right, I'll look that? it up while you're uh, – uh, I don't know. I'm going to look it up right now. Well, all right. Yeah, look it up, and then we'll go to the East instead because if they do, that changes things, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, go to the East. <clears throat> okay. Uh, in the East, at the top, uh, Bucks pistons like this is another one I'm not going to waste my time on. Although I will say that uh, I just – by the way my hours of work and how late I've been working now, I've, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Nick Wright, or I think his show is called, uh, it's called The Right Stuff on Mad Dog. I don't know. He's on, he's on like exactly when I'm coming home late at night. Uh, and he's a big NBA guy, very intelligent. I actually like his show a lot and what he does a lot. Uh, very good straight shooter. Uh, and he has been harping over and over and over uh, about the injuries that the Bucks are having right now. So, um, Malcolm Brogdon, who's uh, one of their big-time uh, outside shooters, is hurt. Tony Snell, their backup point guard, is hurt. Uh, Giannis, or however you say it, uh, he turned in a high ankle sprain. He says he's fine, but, you, you know, you never know. Um, so very interesting on, like, you know, he, he's been talking about how they check every box, but um, – you know, uh, I want to say Middleton or Bledsoe. One of the two is also battling a, an injury too. So, I mean, those are some of their time, their big time players. Um, I, th- you know, this, this to me, they could probably, <laughs> they could probably sit, you know, two or three of these guys for each, you know, for this series, I would say each game and still probably sweep. Uh, and maybe they'll go down that road. And so that they're healthy when they actually see a potential, you know, Celtics, Celtics, Pacers or a yeah can anybody I don't even know if there's anybody here that can maybe give them a run but neither here nor there uh they might be able to sit two or three of these guys uh you know each game and then kind of rotate them in to make sure they're healthy and still probably sweep so uh not going to waste much more time I'm going to go Bucks in uh in four pause uh yeah Bucks in five I'll take I just think the Pistons might be able to steal one with all the injuries and you know, maybe like you said, they, they take the first two and then they sit out a couple guys in game three and see if they can win and ultimately end up getting toppled there. But, uh, yeah, Bucks in five, and they do not recede in the playoffs any longer in the NBA. All right. Oh, right. Okay, underneath them, uh, Celtics and Pacers. So I watch a lot of the Celtics team too. I follow my Duke guys. I watch a lot of Kyrie. A lot of drama continuously, so I know this team fairly well too. They have a uh, Celtics have a couple. What would you call them? Um, I don't. Know. I can't even call some of the the Duke guys bench players. They're really, um, I don't know, blowout minute fillers. I guess that are also on Boston. So uh, I watch these guys when I can a lot. I like watching Kyrie and and see what he's done with his career, despite his short sided twelve game career for Duke or. Maybe it was a little bit more, but it was right around there, 12, 14 games. Um, Boston, very weird. They're a very roller coaster team. They're a lot like Oklahoma City Thunder, actually. They score in, in bunches, and there's there's flashes and stretches where they play just absolutely elite lockdown defense. And then there's just stretches where they just play no defense at all, and it's just a complete 
uh, who's going to score more points on the night. Uh, I feel like the Celtics are the exact same way. Um, really, if you kind of look top to bottom and toss out the Warriors who, you know, built a team, I mean, it's kind of tough to argue. Like, the Celtics have top to bottom probably the second most talent, like talent together team in the entire NBA, but they just, they don't play like it. And that, that's kind of a, that's, that's one of my concerns just about this team in general, especially facing the Bucks. I mean, um, man, you got Marquise Morris, you got Irving, you got Hayward. Yes. I know coming off a monster injury, um, you have uh, Marcus Smart, you have, or actually, I just saw he's out for the series. But you know, you have Marcus yeah, Smart. You miss, you have, yeah, yeah, you I might think miss he's out. I saw. I actually, I thought I saw four to six months. I thought it, he he actually tore the whole oh. uh, his whole his whole ab muscle. So I think he's out for the whole playoffs. But oh, uh, you could be right, yeah. yeah, then you have Jalen Brown. I uh, like. Um, uh, Al Horford, I mean, like top to bottom, if you those, those seven guys should be able to do more than enough, more, more, more than enough than to be very successful outside the likes of obviously Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, uh, you know, Cousins and Durant. I mean, look, uh, it's an unargument with Cousins. You know, you're talking like, you know, five of the top, I don't know, maybe 20 players in the NBA, but. Uh, you know, outside of that, if you kind of go through the rosters, everybody else in the playoffs, you would think you would, in my opinion, I think Boston would be like probably like number two. And uh, they just don't play like that. And uh, I, you know, I think their defense is a little worse than Oklahoma City's Thunder. Is their offense a little bit better than Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City Thunder? Probably. But um, ultimately, uh, they, they, I think they get by here and, um, you know, they should get by, in my opinion, fairly easily. Um Indiana is okay. Uh, would like them a lot better if Olden Depot was around. And uh, if you don't know, he's out for the year. He's been out for the year for a fairly long time now. I mean, the NBA season and the, and the hockey season are like, uh, Jesus. They feel like they that they never start. Or, you know, you never know when they start or end. But uh, I just I don't think uh, Indiana has enough without Olden Depot here uh, running the point. So I'm gonna go Boston in, and they have home court, right? I'll go Boston in five. Pause. Yeah, it's actually pretty crazy that the Pacers held on so well, um, even without Oladipo. And, yeah, it's been at least a couple of months. They probably played their last 35 to 40 games, I would say, without him. Um, and at that point, I think they were in, like, I think they might have been even been in second when he was playing. Um, so, you know, a team that definitely overachieved. And if he was still healthy and, and in this series, it would obviously be a much more compelling series. But uh, you kind of hit the, all the points on the head that I was going to bring up. The, the Celtics are the Eastern Conference version of the, the Thunder to a T. They look great some nights, and then they're absolute dumpster fire on other nights. And um, I, honestly, if they were playing anybody else in the first round, I, I mean, I shouldn't say anybody else because, you know, the, the Eastern Conference is pretty bad. But, you know, if they were playing a team, like if, if – if Oladipo was playing, I would 100% pick the Pacers to win this series. No question about it. Um, but unfortunately, he's not. So I will take the Celtics in – I'll take them in six. Okay. Underneath them is the Sixers and the Nets. And I meant to look on this before I I came on here. What Do you know what's going on with Embiid, dude? Like, is he hurt? Is he just not – So there's no – 
there's GM no implied line out for the game yet because of his injury status. Might start a playoffs. Yeah. Like, I didn't know there's if this no was a mental the... thing. Like, what a weird, just a weird situation. All right. Um, I – so the one thing that the, the Brooklyn Nets – now, I'm not saying the Brooklyn Nets are like this, whatever, but the one thing that the Brooklyn Nets have is guards. They have no front line at all, but they have very good guard play. The Sixers' defense let up more points to guards and drives down the lane than anybody in the NBA this entire season. If MB doesn't play in this game, Sixers are going to be in a serious dogfight. So it kind of sucks that we have to pick this game because uh, clearly, as Paz just mentioned, still nobody knows what the hell's going on with this guy. Um, and Brooklyn just uh, it, it, their guard play is just like Ben Simmons is fine, but like. Look, I love J.J. Redick more than the next guy, but J.J. Redick don't guard anybody. You ain't guard anybody in college. You don't guard anybody now. Uh, you know, Jimmy Butler, he'll guard. But um, if if Embiid play, I, I'm going to go Sixers either way here, but I, I think people are really underestimating that this is going to – I think people think this is going to be a sweep. Uh, Sixers are going to wipe their hands of them. Bing, bang, boom. I mean, they're minus 700 as a series price. Um if MB doesn't play, I'm going Sixers in seven because they'll have home court. If MB does play, I'll go Sixers in five because he'll be in the middle of the paint and be able to hold them out. Uh, pause. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. If MB isn't playing, this the Nets are like the one team, not the one team, but the Nets are one of the teams that could will take full advantage of the lack of MB being there, like. Other teams, uh, you know, other teams have big guys that can maybe sort of slow Embiid down a little bit. The Nets, uh, Embiid is like one of the the bigger pieces that they would struggle mightily against. So without Embiid, it's more, it's so much more of an advantage for the Nets, I feel like, than other teams. Um, you know, look, obviously Embiid being out is an advantage for any team that the Sixers are playing, but the Nets are just one of those teams where he's such a matchup nightmare for them that they'll, they'll be able to, um, you know, match up so much better with the Sixers than they would have if, uh, if Embiid was healthy. So I, same thing with you. I think even if Embiid doesn't play the, the Sixers will get by in this series. Um, so if he doesn't play, I, I'll take them in six. Uh, but same with you. If he does play, I'll take them in five just cause I don't know. There might be a game that D'Angelo Russell drops 45 and, and Dinwiddie drops 25, and they, you know, are able to hold off the, uh, you know, hold off the the Sixers uh, at the end of the game. But uh, just like you, I mean, they, like you said, they don't they don't guard guards very well. Um, for all, uh, for as great as Simmons is, he is an absolute liability at the free throw line, at the mid range jumper line. Basically, his game is pass and get to the basket and. Uh, you know, if you can kind of limit him there, uh, that's that's a huge advantage for you. So if you're able to limit Simmons to shooting jumpers and, you know, not really getting to the rim, and then you don't have to worry about Embiid, I mean, the Nets can absolutely take a couple games in this series. They could absolutely win this series if there's no Embiid the whole time. But um, I'm just going to side with the team that has more talent in more positions, and that's the uh, the Sixers. So 
give me the Sixers in five if Embiid is playing, six if uh, Embiid is not playing. All right. And last but not least in the first round, Toronto Raptors at number two versus the Magic at seven. Uh, look, I'm not going to waste a lot of time here. I will give props to Orlando um, finishing the season at, what was it, 22-7, and seven, I believe. Uh, 22-9 and nine since January 31st. That's very impressive. Uh, they moved from the 21st uh, worst defense in the NBA to the fourth best defense in the NBA. Another impressive number since that January 31st uh, stint. But Toronto, since game two of the NBA season, literally, their game two, they've been prepping to uh, be in this position. Uh, they rest Kawhi basically every other game. Uh, Lowry sits out while he's been a little, uh, let's say, pissed off. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure there's a little bit of drama there. He's still been good. Um Pascal Sakam, however you say, I use him in FanDuel every single night I used to play. That guy is the, literally the most underrated player maybe in the entire NBA. He's always undervalued in FanDuel. You clip him at like 6,500 and you just say, thank me later. Uh, there's been two occasions. Excuse me. There's been two occasions where he scored like over 80 points for me, which people in FanDuel, if you don't know, that's like it, it like maybe record-breaking for the entire season. Um and they also acquired uh, Marcus Gasol, who, you know, uh, look, on his, I would say probably a, on the, back, I don't want to say prime, back end of his prime or back end of his career, uh, still effective. And um, uh, I, I, Orlando, I'll give Orlando one year, play solid defense, maybe catch the Raptors in like a, a game three where they're used to sitting out after, uh, uh, you know, a day or two or back-to-backs and they're a little bit fatigued. So I'll go Toronto in five, um, you know, just for the fact that I, I think, you know, Orlando's playing with house money and Toronto's used to, used to resting on back-to-backs or, you know, you know, two games in four or five days type of thing, and, and they steal maybe a game three, game four there. Pause. Yeah, I would I would sort of side with you on on that with that argument as well, but they play on the 13th, the 16th, the 19th. So they have two days off in between the first three uh, games okay. of the yeah, series. So they probably don't catch um, Yeah. I mean, NBA players, they are such pussies. Um NHL guys, they're playing every other night. They're throwing their bodies on the line. They're I don't know if people were watching, you know, Joel Pavelski take a, a puck to the teeth last night, get a couple stitches, lose a few teeth, and he's back on the ice, you know, 15 minutes later. Um, an NBA player twists an ankle, he's probably not coming back on the court for like three quarters. So, I mean, you know, you've all seen the drama of like guys like Paul Pierce getting wheeled out in a wheelchair and then, uh, you know, coming back a quarter later because, you know, it was just a really bad cramp and he, you know, it made it look like he was literally dying on the court and uh, things like that. So uh, the NBA scheduling is a joke. Uh, players are pussies. So, um, you know, everyone gets three, three days basically off in between, in between each game. So I just give me the Raptors in four because every one of their players is going to play every game because, uh, you know, there's not going to be any of the, there's not going to be enough time for them or the games are so spaced out that, they don't have to worry about rest or not being, uh, you know, not being conditioned well enough, whatever. All right. That brings us back to the 
<clears throat> semifinals for the Western Conference. So I have Golden State versus Houston. Um, listen, I I don't I hate I really don't like both these teams. I don't like Harden. I don't like Paul. And I really I just hate I actually hate Curry and Durant. So I'm just gonna go Houston. They had him on the brink last year. I don't know. Maybe they do it again. I, I can't. I can't. I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight if I if I actually took Golden State here. That's how much I just absolutely despise them. So I'll go Houston and uh, I'll go Houston and six over Golden State. Pause. Uh, I'm not gonna waste time. Warriors in five. All right, and then I have Oklahoma City and Denver. I think Oklahoma City actually plays a hard nose and, and locks down here. I'm going to go Oklahoma City over Denver, and I will take Oklahoma City in uh, – I'm going to take them in six also. Mm, I, I have the Nuggets against Trailblazers. Um, I will take the Nuggets in seven. All right, and then I have Houston against Oklahoma City. I'll take Oklahoma City in uh, in Game Seven over Houston for uh, to to be the Western Conference champs. Wow, you you absolutely have to put a little bit of money down. I don't know what their odds are, but if you really think they're gonna win Not the Western I Conference, just, I just hate I just hate Golden State yeah. so much, and I hate Houston. And so you know, money you go with one team you like, you know. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I was just going to – I mean, look, the Warriors are the prohibitive favorites and more than likely are going to get there. I'm just going to take the – I'm going to take the Nuggets in seven, just like you for you. I, you know, I can't trust the – I mean, I can't take the Warriors. I hate them as well. Um, but they're – they're look, I'm going to completely contradict myself in what I'm saying. They're going to win the championship this year, but I'm just not going to pick them. So Nuggets and seven. All right. East, I have Bucks Celtics. I just think, look, the Bucks are too much here. I actually like the Bucks a lot. I think they check off basically every box that you need to be an NBA final champion, uh, an MVP, uh, outside shooting, a guy that could play inside in the paint, uh, a coach that's successful. Uh, they to me they check off all these boxes and uh, so I'm gonna take the Bucks and I don't I just don't like the Celtics all that much and uh, to me I, I don't think this is that big of you know series uh, I'm gonna go Bucks in uh, uh, they probably take two I'll go Bucks in six um, I, I I said earlier when we you know the few times that we've spoken about the NBA that I thought the Eastern Conference semifinals and, you know, obviously the Eastern Conference finals as well were going to be very fun to watch. Uh, these four teams, I feel like, are so are so evenly matched and, you know, played each other really tight in the regular season that, I mean, it's just going to be entertaining. I think all the series are going to be pretty long, um, you know, either six or seven games, both the, the semifinals and the finals. But uh, ultimately, here in this matchup, I think the Bucks uh, take the Celtics in six as well. I just, I think ultimately the the hot and cold of the Celtics is going to just rear its ugly head, and you know they'll be able to take a couple of games just because they'll get hot and they'll play really well at certain games. But 
Um, you know, ultimately they have nobody without Smart. They have nobody to stop to stop Giannis. Not that anybody can stop Giannis, but um, you know, slow him down a little bit. Um, so yeah, give me the uh, give me the Bucks and six. All right, and then Sixers and Toronto. I think uh, Toronto has just been completely primed for this all year. They've been setting up for it, like I said, since game two. Uh, and I just think the, the, the Sixers are just super fair weather. I don't care what pieces they've had. Who knows what's going on with Embiid this time. I feel like every time I open Twitter and actually, like, invest a couple milliseconds in, in reading about the NBA, it's – He's either dating a girl, he was out at the club, he has this injury, he's sick. Uh, it's always some shit with him. As Paz mentioned uh, when we spoke about them in the first round, he continuously, uh, Simmons is a liability in a bunch of areas. Redick is on his way out. Butler will start screaming and yelling in the locker room if they get down. And uh, I just think uh, Toronto is not a good matchup for them because Kawhi can control and beat in the paint. And, um, you know, they have enough pieces with uh, uh, Sikkim or Sakal, every said Pascal, Sikkim, whatever. He can be also be in the paint. Now it, you have everything leaning on the likes of uh, Simmons, who Lowry can guard, which just be, leaves you down to who can Butler play. And uh, uh, Pascal can go out and cover Butler. And uh, I think actually Toronto makes quick work of the Sixers. I'm going to go Toronto in five, actually. Uh, that's that's just how I feel about the Sixers. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty bold uh, bold claim there. But um, yeah, I think I, I'm not sure exactly how they'll match up in terms of you know defending the the Sixers. I would think that I would kind of bet that uh, Kawhi would actually guard Simmons. Um, that would be my my guess. Um, and then you have Siakam on Embiid, and then I guess the odd man there is really Butler, right? Um, so I don't know who they would have on Butler. Well, I don't know. It's tough. Like, would you, as the as the Raptors, would you would you put Gasol on Embiid? And because I don't know how much Gasol can really guard. I don't. I, uh, yeah, I don't think you know, he's versatile to, to cover him. Yeah, I don't think I wouldn't yeah, want I him on the outside against Embiid. Yeah, it would either have to be Siakam or or Ibaka, I guess, on on uh, what's we call it. On I don't think I don't think Ibaka uh, is versatile enough either anymore. Not at this age. Maybe three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah you could be right. Um, yeah, I guess it's probably got to be Siakam then guarding guarding Embiid, and then you yeah. have. Uh, uh, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess could can Danny Green guard uh, Jimmy Butler? Yeah, he could guard Butler, or they throw Larry on him, and you like you yeah. said, they throw Kawhi out on top. And uh, I, I just they they're too inconsistent, man. They're just too for me at least. Yeah. I just like what how am I? You know what are they here? They're the number one defense, and uh, they're limiting opponents to twenty two point five percent on field goals. Like, I mean. I don't know. Yeah, uh, you know. I, look, I, I'm with you. I think, yeah, I, I think the Raptors ultimately win this series, but I think this, uh, I think this is a seven-game series. Uh, so give me the Raptors in seven. But I would not argue with anybody. I'm sure the when the prices come out for this series, let's just assume that Embiid is healthy and playing and whatever. I I would assume that this is going to be a 
fairly close to a pick 'em, or you know maybe the Raptors slightly favored at like you know 140. Um, so make the Sixers plus 115, 120, whatever. But uh, yeah, I think this is this is pretty close to a, a pick 'em series. So give me the Raptors home court advantage and just the guys that I think are ultimately a little bit more healthy, um, you know, and, and have been conditioned to for the playoffs the entire season. All right. And that leaves me, or at least both of us with Bucks Toronto. Um, as I mentioned, I just think, I just think Milwaukee, um, checks all the boxes and uh i uh i like them i just think this is a prime opportunity man for them it's, i think if the east is i don't want to say wide open but at a year with you know lebron's not on cleveland anymore uh not on the heat anymore and i man they just uh top to bottom they like i said they have not one but two shooters if brogdon is able to come back and play uh, they have a big man, uh, another big man to come in and replace him. They have defenders, the coach, and everything. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever, Kawhi, D's up, Giannis, and then, you know, who's going to go out and cover all three shooters? Larry uh, can't run around and cover them all. So I'm going to go Bucks, and I'll take the Bucks. in. Um, I, I think those series will be tough because I think Toronto could nah, – I don't know if they have enough offense saying with the Bucks though. They do uh two three two, right? They do two one one two two one 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 except for the finals. Two two one one one. Both the both the conference and uh and regular or just, just the regular yeah, NBA everything finals? yeah, everything except for the finals. Um two two one one one. Oh wait, actually the finals are now two two one 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 as well, so it's they're all two two one one one. Okay, so I'll go Bucks and six here over Toronto. I don't think Toronto can score with them. Um, yeah, I look this. This ultimately, I think, could come down to the health of of uh, Brogdon. I think if Brogdon is able to come back, the Bucks are the favorite in this series, and I think if they if he can't come back, then the um, the Raptors are the favorite in this series. So I'm just pulling up news. So he apparently is out of his he is out of his walking boot, Brogdon. Um, but they still say that he's probably he's definitely going to miss the first round, and then going from there, they don't know. Um, so look, I'm just gonna rather than speculating, I'm just gonna take the Raptors in seven. Um, I'm gonna just assume that he's not going to play, and even if he does play, he's gonna be more at like, you know, sixty seventy percent rather than a hundred percent or ninety or a hundred percent. So I'll just take the the Raptors in seven. Um, I think these teams really match up very well against each other. Uh, it's gonna be a very interesting series. And uh, yeah, give me the just give me the uh, Raptors in seven. All right, for me it's uh, Raptors versus or no, uh, it's uh, Bucks versus Oklahoma Bucks. City Thunder. I'm gonna go Bucks in uh, two two one one. I'll go Bucks in five over Oklahoma City Thunder in the NBA Finals. 
the Milwaukee Bucks NBA champions. How does that sound? That probably hasn't happened since – have they won a title? They probably won one when they were like the Minneapolis Lakers or some shit. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Or the Milwaukee something. They are probably named something else. Um, so I have the, the Nuggets against the Raptors. Um Look, same thing. Both of these teams match up really well against each other. Um, it, it'll be a, a fun series to watch. Um, they, I think ultimately, the, so the Western Conference team or the, the Nuggets will have home court advantage here. So I'm just going to take the Nuggets having the advantage to, you know, playing at altitude. Um, you know, obviously the home court advantage, um, I just think Jokic is a guy that the Raptors will not be able to guard, and he'll be the difference maker in this series. So give me the Nuggets in seven, and uh, just to follow up, the Bucks won a title in their only title in 1971 with uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar there. That's a pretty nice guy to have on your team, huh? Yeah, not bad. <laughs> All right. Thankfully, NBA, done. Uh, if anybody wants to call and give their bracket or weigh in on their NBA champion, that's not the Warriors. Be my guest, 657-383-1692. Uh, we'll take a quick break here, get into uh, just kind of uh, – I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Duke basketball and just kind of their, you know, letdown performance. Uh, we'll do a little bit of a tournament review and, you know, whatever, surprises or just our overall thoughts talk about the Yankees, a little baseball, and, and whatever other stories we get into. Um, yeah, quick break. Uncut Sports Talk featuring Rhino and Paz. Bud Light presents Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Overzealous Foul Ball Catcher. Mr. Overzealous Foul you're nowhere close to that foul ball heading for the bleachers. Who cares? You're going for it. That ball's mine. Hot dog vendors, old ladies, infants. You mow them over like a diesel-powered combine. Yeah! Ashamed of your souvenir fervor? Hardly. You scratch and gouge your way to the ball like a bloodthirsty wolverine. You're a feisty rodent. So crack open a nice cold Bud Light, Mr. Bully of the Bleachers. Because why pay for a souvenir when you can fight for one? Mr. Bud Light Beer, Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. All right, back at Uncut Sports Talk, 657-383-1692. Um, all right, Duke basketball. Uh, to me, this will go down as... Coach K's biggest failure in, in his entire coaching career. Um, there's no excuse whatsoever um, to lose with the – yeah, you know what? Actually, I'll go ahead and say it. Zion Williamson is the best college basketball player that I've seen in my lifetime, which spans 33 years. I probably – I'm trying to think of what age I was. Um, I saw my first game, I believe, at three or four either three or five um and i actually kind of remember it so uh from a college basketball standpoint you're talking 27 ish years that um 
you know, I've really followed the sport and I haven't seen anyone better. Uh, Durant was um, next level. Great. I just don't think he played the defense that Zion did. Um, Anthony Davis was ridiculously, uh, was really, really good player. Um, I, I just, I just, I really just honestly, um, I, I can't, I can't think of anybody who played on both ends of the ball that had a bigger impact, um, in my lifetime. I, I really can't. Um, uh, and, um, it's just, uh, it, to me, to I, and I understand. I, it's not for me. It's not about like people are like, oh my God, he lost with, you know, two, you know, three top ten, uh, top ten draft picks. Uh, for that, I don't care about that. That's not it, like as I've mentioned a billion times on here before. Um, the transferring from, uh, you know, to NBA to college and college NBA is completely different ball games. Uh, somebody like. Uh, Trey Jones, who was ridiculous, uh, is a ridiculous defender, won't be as successful in the NBA. Uh, that's just plain and simple. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. I, I watched Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan was a very, very good college basketball player. He he could possibly be up there. So I would put him in the likes of what, what I saw from Dan, um, Zion this year. He did it. Tim Duncan was a guy who did on both ends, uh, rebounding, tons of blocks. Um, I think he has a blocks record. It's, it's some in the hundreds, uh, tons of points. <laughs> Excuse me again. Um, who else? Um, I'm trying to think, man. Um, yeah, I, I just, you know, I just to do to do what he did on both sides of the ball. There's just no excuse to lose a player like that. Uh, he just absolutely changed games, took over games defensively and offensively. Um, I thought he got out coached by Izzo, which is a guy he's owned in the past. And um, he, I don't, I still don't understand why in all three games now uh, that they go down to the wire, the ball's in Barrett's hands. Um, then finally he gives it to Zion in the UCF game. Barrett comes up with that play. Uh, Barrett misses the front end in this one. And, and, you know, that kind of seals the fate. He gets out coached on a play that, not only did Grant Hill mention they were going to go deep because that's the only thing that made sense since they had uh, Duke had fouls to give so they could run off even more clock. The announcer said it. I said it. I'm sure every, uh, 90 people in their homes that watched that know just a tiny bit about college basketball said it, and somehow Coach K doesn't realize it or see it. Um, I, you know, and to me, that's just kind of like you almost lost a step. And, you know, people want to bash him for – you know, not being successful at Bagley, different story. This team was way, way better than the likes of Bagley, uh, a Carter that was inconsistently in foul trouble and Grayson Allen. Um, and um, I, uh, I, I don't know. Reddish was basically irrelevant all year. Uh, unsure what happened there. I saw he declared for the NBA today. I, I don't, I just don't know how he's a top seven pick that that's another thing. Um, but, you know, um uh, just a big letdown. I, I can't sit here and uh, I'm usually very straightforward with my teams. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't take the Yankees in our playoff preview and I just didn't think there'd be a good team and we would get, we'll get on that. Or I, they didn't, I didn't think they were a playoff team. And, uh, but uh, there is no doubt. I did not think that anybody was anywhere near Duke basketball's towns this year. Not even close. I really didn't. And um, just unfortunate uh sucked set me back a little bit but there's some other things that like really bother me in there too and i got in a long conversation on pause about it but 
Um, I, I ju- and, and it's just funny that the same conversation I have with Paz, and he can attest to it well before the, the controversies with the Virginia game and again the other night. Um, I, I just the, – the fact that the trio that refereed the Duke and Michigan State game is the same trio – that called the second most offensive fouls in, in the NCAA this year and called um, six offensive fouls against Barrett in the one game that he had four offensive in the one game alone uh, and also called five offensive fouls against Zion. Cassius Winston will not be successful in the NBA because he pushes off on every single play. He aren't the literally the definition, if you look in the rule book, is that if you have an arm bar up as an offensive dribbler, or you extend your arm out as an offensive dribbler, both are supposed to be called a foul. If you go back and watch that, every single play that Cassius Winston drives the lane, he uses the arm bar. When he stops and then goes gets his step back, he doesn't even take a step back. You would think he's taking a step back because he has so much room. He has so much room because he's pushed off with the arm bar every time. When he goes up for the layup, he takes the arm bar and extends it. That's how he gets himself that room to do the layup that they all love. Those are fouls. And you can't, there's, you, there's just no consistency. You can't call that against that same thing against Barrett and Zion and everybody else since you were the fourth most offensive fouling crew in the NCA. But then you get to the, uh, the Elite Eight and you let that same player get away with these same exact things. And that, that's just something that is really bothering me with these sports. It's one of the reasons I stopped watching the NFL. There's no accountability. There's no consistency, among other things, domestic violence, the, the flag issue, whatever. And it's kind of pulled me away from the game of basketball. I didn't watch either of the final four games. I didn't watch the national championship. Um, and part of that's because Duke was out, but, and it just, you know, hurts me to my core. But part of that is like, I'm tired of this, this, this lack of consistency. And then you have a, a Virginia game that's determined by a guy who dribbles the ball off. You learn what a double dribble is when you're for us, what's called TRBA. When you're a little kid at the age of five and you're allowed to dribble, you know what a double dribble is. You learn what it is for a ref, not to call that in that game, which leads to the loss for Auburn. And yes, if you want to be a guy who says, Oh, all the plays matter. Sure, they do. But that play mattered, and that play shows a loss. Just like it did for the Saints, that pass interference cost them a chance to go to the Super Bowl. That play cost Auburn a chance to go to the National Championship, plain and simple. That's a double dribble. It's not a question. It's not a thought. It's He picks the ball up, and he makes dribbles again. That's it, plain and simple. You have to pass it or shoot it. And now Auburn doesn't go to the national championship. There's just no consistency. And that's why I just like hockey and baseball because I just think much more because it's just pure. If they are wrong, it gets challenged. If the ball's on the strike zone, they get fined for calling too many balls at the strike zone. They get pulled off as crews. And there's just no consistency and no accountability. I'm not saying Duke wins the Michigan State game, but I think the game cha- I think nobody can argue that if Cassius Winston isn't in, in the game or gets called for a couple of those and has to sit like like Zion had to sit when he was in foul trouble, that changes the game. And uh, it's just it's just kind of getting ridiculous that you have like I said the fourth rank crew for offensive fouls. It doesn't doesn't call one against him doing the same exact stuff. And it's just a, it's just kind of pulling me away from the basketball. And, you know, just like the NFL has other external branches that, like I said, the domestic violence, the flag, college basketball lets uh, smart for LSU play the whole entire season when he's on wiretap doing the thing. They, the, the NCAA says nothing about it at all. 
Uh, LSU AD is the one that has to do it. Then the LSU AD lets him play anyway. Like if LSU gets to like the, the national title and all their things get like neglected again or nullified again, like the kids get screwed. And it's just it's just getting to be so ridiculous. Like now you hear Bobo who ended up sitting out all year, he cheated. So, you know, Oregon probably doesn't get into the tournament without the wins that he at least was able to put up for them in the first half of the season because they were terrible in the second half. Uh, you know, that's ridiculous. You have a guy who takes out Duke a couple of years ago uh, from South Carolina. He's suspended. You have the, the two Kansas kids last year where Duke probably moves on because, the, to, to uh, you know, we went over this already, but collectively they had like 23 rebounds and 30, 14 points. I don't think anybody – they go to OT if, if they have two guys that can't pull down 23 boards against Bailey and Carter. So just a lot of these things, man, are just really pulling me away from um, this stuff. And it's just – it's it's really hard to get fully invested as I am when um, – it's just like the NFL. There's another branch that does this shit. Uh, pause. Just uh, a a little bit on Duke and then we'll kind of get just our overall thoughts on the tournament. Yeah, I saw, I saw someone, I, I forget who it was, but someone uh, on Twitter saying something like imagine losing or not being able to win a title against college kids with LeBron James on your team. Look, obviously Zion's an 18 year old kid and, you know, isn't nearly as polished as LeBron James, but his talent level let's just call it what it is. Zion Williamson was by far the best player in college basketball this year. And coach K was not able to get to the championship game with by far the best player in, in the game. And then, you know, two other top, whatever, five, 10 recruits. And then wherever Trey Jones was, you know, maybe the best defender, or, or a top five defender in the country as well. So it's just very head scratching, uh, to be honest. Um, I think he, he ultimately did get out coached. I think it, it, it came down to him just thinking that, you know, maybe the, the talent of that he had on the court would be able to win out and, and, uh, you know, maybe play, you know, individual plays here and there didn't matter as much. I, look, I, I don't know. I'm sure he was still coaching his ass off like he would if it was, you know, any other team that he had. I, I don't I don't think it was a, a lack of effort or, a, you know, a, a lack of uh, want or, you know, drive or anything like that. I just, I don't know, maybe he, maybe he wanted to see what, what guys of this caliber could just do by them, not by themselves, but, you know, with a little less coaching and, you know, a little less direction and kind of let them free flow it. And I, look, I don't know what it was, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty big upset and uh, disappointment. I would think for Duke um, to, to have not gotten there. Uh, I, I can't really think in the last 10 years or so, has there been a team that had that much talent that did not get to the final four. Um, just I, I, I don't know. No, I'm just trying to get to the final four. Yeah. Uh, they lost the West yeah, Wisconsin in the final to... four. Yeah. That's yeah, the only the team that four, I think yeah. that's been that big of a, a letdown. Yeah. But I'm just like not even getting to the final four. Like at least they were, that team was in the final four, you know, whatever they were 38, no 35 and no, whatever. Um, and then ended up losing in the final four, but at least they got there, you know, um, to not have gotten to the final four with this, the, the talent on this roster. Um, it's just, it's very, it's a, a head, a head scratching moment. It's one of those things in sports where, 
you know, you're playing one and done games in the NCAA tournament, which is what makes it unique. If you're playing, if you're playing a seven game series, yeah, more than likely Duke is going to win that series. But I mean, even if you're playing a three game series, Duke is more than likely going to win it. But when you have that one and done scenario and the player gets in a little foul trouble and then, you know, a little momentum starts going the other way, crazy shit can happen. And uh, that's kind of exactly what happened. Um, Another thing I wanted to bring up, though, that I've been thinking about and the the Duke game just kind of solidified it in my mind, the NCAA really should do something about the, the foul rule at the end of halves and the end of games when teams – well, really, I guess the first half really doesn't matter, uh, the second half. There's no reason why a team should be penalized for – not having committed fouls during the entirety of a half. So Duke was penalized at the end of the half because they had to foul four times because they only committed three fouls during the rest of the half when that's a positive thing 99% of the time. Um, I don't know what the the correct, um, you know, remedy is for that, but that's something that 100% should be remedied. Um, I don't know if they go to something like what the, what the NBA does, where if it's the, you know, let's say you only commit one foul in the half, then your first foul under two minutes, basically the next foul puts you directly and puts the, the other team directly in the bonus. Um, I don't know if that's sort of a scenario that they want to look into, but I, I think I, I've been thinking about this for a while. And, and I think, you know, during this tournament, it happened a few different times where even it happened um who else did it happen to? I think it happened in the – it was an issue in the, the Virginia-Auburn game as well. I think Virginia yeah. had a foul like three or four times before they put Auburn on the line. Like, it, there's no, no uh, it was why the, uh, team... It was the Purdue game. Oh, Virginia-Purdue. Okay. Yeah, exactly. For, so, yeah. Right, right. Exactly. So there's no reason why a team should be penalized and have to waste 20 seconds at the end of, at the end of a half when they're – performing on a level that obviously the object is not to commit fouls, right? So if you're doing that for 95% of the half and then you just so happen to be down with a minute to go and now it's like, all right, well, obviously to extend the game, the only way to get the ball back is to foul. Now we have to waste 20 seconds because we have to foul five times because the object is not to foul. But now since we did that very well, we're now just screwed ourselves because we now have to foul at the end of the game. So uh, there's got to be something done. I, I don't know if anybody even talks about it in terms of like the, the competition committee or whatever, whatever the NC, you know, whatever the rules committee, whatever it might be. But I, I think that's something that should be right at the top of the list. Um, right. after you get past all the, uh, you know, the shitty referees that they have in, in college, college basketball. So deal with the shitty referees. And then next rule change is, dealing with something, uh, the fouls at the end of a half. And I think one of the things that the NBA does do well is, uh, is that where it's, you know, the first foul under two minutes, then the next foul puts you, puts you in the bonus. So I don't know if you want to do it the two minute mark, but maybe you want to do the one minute marks that way a team, you know, whether they're at two fouls or they're at four fouls or they're at zero fouls, you foul once, then the next foul puts you right in the bonus The you know, puts the, the, 
the opposing team in the bonus, and uh, you don't have to worry about wasting 30 seconds of, you know, the last minute of the game just trying to foul and put the team on the line when it was a positive for you, the, the 95% of the of the uh, rest of the half. So just something I wanted to bring up and talk about. Um, I don't know what your feeling is on that, if, if you've ever thought about it, if you've ever, you know, thought it was a, you know, something that they should look at, whatever, but uh, I'd, I'd be interested to, to hear what you have to say about that. No, you're right. I mean, it definitely makes sense. It is, it is kind of stupid that you get, you definitely get hurt by, you know, doing, like you said, what's uh, successful, what you're told not to do, what helps you as a team throughout the half ends up coming to bite you in the ass. I've never actually really like sat down and thought about, um, like how they go about doing it. I guess you're right. The NBA, you know, way would make sense. I don't know. Like I said, I don't watch the NBA enough to know, like, how do they do overtime? Like if that Virginia Purdue game ends up going to OT, then they're in the bonus for all of overtime. Is that how that works? Or are you not sure? Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually not sure about how the NBA does that either. I don't know if I would think that they probably just continue over being in the bonus then that would be my guess. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm not sure how the NBA does it. That's it's the same thing. I don't really watch the NBA at all, so um, yeah, I'm, so, I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, I mean, look, it's just it's something to that I think should be looked at and should be, um, you know, maybe they bring up a couple of different scenarios and they vote on it or you know whatever it might be. But I think it's definitely something that that should be looked at. Yeah, no, I mean, no, you're definitely right. That definitely makes a ton of sense. Um, but yeah, the the shitty refereeing is uh, is first and foremost. Um, this is twice now that whatever, whether you're not a college fan, you are a college fan, or you're just a pro sports fan. Uh, the fact that two potential, um, you know, national title, which is you know Super Bowl two, let's say two championship games, got stolen away from two teams in the same year is just absolutely is embarrassing to another level. And uh, just gives conspiracy theorists uh, more, you know, volume and leverage, and um, you know, us sports fans less to defend. I, I, I cannot uh, sit in a room anymore and argue that, um, you know, the ending to the Virginia game doesn't look shady, and the ending to that that, that Saints game doesn't look shady, and, uh, and and unfortunately, while I don't care about as much as you know Drew Brees and you know uh, whoever you know. Be, it being sad for, I do think it's, you know, shitty for those Auburn kids because those, you know, all, some of those kids may never get another shot to, to play basketball that's competitive and matters. And that that's just ridiculous. And that, um, like I said, it, there's just absolutely uh, zero purity and zero consistency. And it's just a, a level of embarrassment. And now you throw in all the gambling shit. And, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier in the year, the guy, the same referee that lets Bass baskets go after the buzzer that affect the spread and the over under and the game and, and now you throw that in it's just uh it's just getting out of control man and you just don't know who's who's who or what's right and you got the guy in the nba that's that uh you know is fighting with the warriors that literally calls like two of the most ridiculous fouls i've ever seen and i yeah, look look i hate the warriors more than the next guy if not even more than him and and that stuff was nonsense and it's just it's just so rampant now it's really really just ruining the games i i saw and then there, you got this mlb umpire who literally uh fixes basically the entire i want to say who were they playing was houston playing texas 
I forget who they were playing, but there was two balls that actually hit the the lip of the grass and the dirt in front of the plate, and he called them both strikes. I mean, that's just undefensible. And then he's and then he's telling the Houston the Astros coach that he could do whatever the fuck he wants. I mean, this it's just it's it's so bad. It's so so bad. Uh, I don't know if it's social media and the fact that we see more of it now or uh, so now like I you know I wouldn't see that Houston play on on a regular Saturday but I see it now because you know the video is all over Twitter um but I mean look uh look everybody in America seeing the Saints one social media or not everyone in uh, everyone in America seeing the Virginia one so maybe it's not social media I, I wouldn't have seen the Golden State one without social media so there's two uh, but uh, it's just so, so bad. And I just feel like there's no, uh, I, I, you know, I know pause has touched on a billion times this year, but I just feel like there's no accountability. There's no purity. There's no, um, no consistency. It's nothing. Uh, I, I, like I said, I don't mind the baseball where, uh, everyone has their own zone. And look, uh, I dealt with that my entire high school, college career, but you know, the umpires, you know, where their zone is, you know, this guy likes to call inside, this guy likes to call low, whatever, that's fine. But to actually have a ball that hits the lip of the grass, which I believe I, I don't, 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 because everybody's stadium is a little bit different, but I believe by regulation has to be 10 inches from the top of the plate to the lip. Um, to call a, a, uh, a two two balls that are ten inches away from even touching the front of the plate, um, which would be I would say mathematically possibly better than me, would probably be about twenty eight inches actually from even being able to touch the strike zone because you have to go higher and farther. Uh, that's just that's just embarrassing and just bad for sports overall. Uh, pause. Do you want to touch on it again? I know you've you've ripped them all year, but uh, do you have anything else on it? No, the uh, the Virginia play, it's just I, I can't – you you can't defend referees when they are standing two, three feet away from, from the play that's happening and, you know, whether it's a, a guy stepping on a line and, and, and touching a ball. Like uh, even the play in the Texas Tech-Gonzaga game, which uh, we haven't you know, we yeah. haven't spoken about. Or where the two, the two the guy, plays in the Duke game where the guy's literally his whole entire foot's out of bounds against Virginia Tech and right, they exactly. give him the ball both times. Like, the, they end up winning, the guy, but it's just crazy. Uh, yeah, the guy in the, the Owens for Texas Tech blocks. I, I forget who shot he blocked, but it was in the Gonzaga game. It's like going out of bounds. He's literally standing out of bounds, and then he jumps in the air and yeah. catches the ball, obviously yeah. without not est- with, without establishing himself back in the <laughs> in the court. And like two referees are literally looking yeah, standing at right him. in the corner He's there, standing yeah. out of bounds. Yeah. And ha- what? It's the most. It's literally the most basic rule in the game, other than in order to score a basket, you have to put the ball between the hoop in the hoop. Like that's the next rule is you can't be standing out of bounds and touch the ball. Like that's literally yeah. the, the second most basic rule in in basketball. Like, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. I, it's just it's ridiculous. And like I said, I I know it probably won't reach any authority anywhere. But if this somehow does, look me up, hit me up. I I guarantee you that you put me on a basketball court right now, and I will be a better referee than 90% of the referees uh, in college basketball right now, right off. I'm sitting in my bedroom right now, straight from my bedroom to, to a court, college basketball court, D1 basketball court, refing a game. 
and I will do a better job than 90% of the people that you have employed uh, in the NCAA. And I, I don't have a doubt in my mind about it. I have zero doubt in my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's look, it's, it's hard to argue. And even the data bounds ones, like, I'm with you. But, like, I mean, uh, I, I can understand where, like, every, you know, here or there, you you know, you just don't see a foot. But to literally, the guy, the guy's actually basically standing, like, on Jerome's back foot, and he still doesn't see a double dribble. I mean, like, that's not a difficult one, man. It, it's just um, – it's just crazy, man. It's just really bad. And like I said, there's no consistency. You have the same guy that calls the offensive fouls, fourth highest, that crew. It doesn't call any on Winston. I mean, it's just crazy, man. Like, you just don't – like I said, in baseball, you know who you got, who your personality is, and they you know, they like to call it high, low, inside, whatever. Uh, if that was a bas- college basketball crew that called no offensive fouls, fine. Let them harm bar, push all he wants or whatever. But don't don't show me the fourth highest crew. Uh, and there's lots of crews, man. It's four, usually four per conference. So um, I don't even know how many there are now. It's got to be close to 100. So you have over, almost 100 crews. You, you rank the fourth highest and, uh, you know, don't call it once. It's just that's just not being consistent and uh, plain and simple. Um, you know, Trey Jones uh, coming back. You know, I don't know. I'm just not like, just not really into it anymore. And maybe, maybe when it comes around, I will be. Maybe not. I don't know. There's different things for me on the horizon this summer that uh, I'm going to take a step back from a lot of things that I do or don't do. But neither here nor there. Um, I love Trey Jones, and I just, I just love the family, and that it just makes me happy because um, if I'm really going to kind of get back into it, I really would like to have Trey there, Ties there. I just, I love the family, the cancer situation. I feel bad for him. Oh, that's another thing I want to tag on. These fucking, these absolute, you know, listen, um, look, I only go on Twitter for news and stuff. I don't really, I'm not really one to bully. I've gotten my three arguments maybe, and I've had Twitter since 2000, I want to say 11, three or four arguments with some clowns, and usually it's about horse racing. You, and look, (laughs) In the field I'm in, I know people have issues. I I um I get it. I understand. And if that's the case, and you're that person on Twitter, and you just have some personal issues, and um you're not sure how to address them yet, or haven't made a call to get help, I'm sorry, and I'm not speaking on you. But the people who literally on Twitter, um, that are calling Trey Jones the biggest fag and the biggest pussy they've ever seen for crying and don't realize that the reason he was so upset was that because his mom wasn't allowed to leave the hospital to go watch him play in any single Duke game this year or in the uh, or in March Madness or the conference tournament, but the hospital was going to let her out from chemo and radiation so that she could watch him play in Minneapolis for the Final Four National Championship, and that's why he was so upset because he felt like he let her down. To go on Twitter and call him the biggest faggot and pussy that you've ever seen literally in those words and keep going on about how gay he is, which is just ridiculous also because whether you're gay, straight, or indifferent, it doesn't matter. You you need to make pick up the phone and make the call to go get help. I did want to mention that, and I'm glad I actually thought for, thought about that because it's, it's – look, that's why society is so fucked up right now and America is so fucked up because you have way too many people like that. Like there was over – like over 207 comments – in in that type of in that type, in that context of conversation directly to him on 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 his Twitter and Instagram, just go get help because if that was your mom that was dying that couldn't come watch you play a game, I think you'd think a lot about differently about addressing people. It's messed up. It's really really messed up. 
And we need to change society to a better place, not to continue to make it worse with those type of people, whether you're a keyboard bully or not. Anyway, March Madness Tournament Review. I actually thought um, I was all into it, really. Uh, I thought it was a fairly good tournament. Um, I would say that the first two weekends, besides like the Duke-UCF game, and there was another one in there. I thought the tournament early on left a lot to be desired. Um, wasn't really much stuff close on Thursday. Wasn't much close on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday on that first weekend. Uh, besides that, UCF Duke game was like the best game of the four days. Uh, granted, thriller down to the last um, hoop or last you know basket. And um, then the following week really was just the uh, Duke Virginia Tech game. That came down the wire. Um, but then I thought that the, the weekend portion, even with the that the Duke-Michigan State game was great, the Virginia-Purdue game was great, uh, the Kentucky game was great. That that like that Saturday, Sunday there, the Elite Eight was was fantastic basketball. Um, from what I hear, I didn't see either. I played in the tournament and I really just I just couldn't get back into college basketball and um with my rant earlier about just the consistency and the nonsense. I'm just so getting tired of it. It's coming into NFL form with me. So, uh, but from what I hear, I heard the final four was great basketball. And obviously you have an OT national championship game, which I also didn't watch, but if any game that goes no OT, that's a championship game had to be, had to be great. So, um, really great basketball from the elite eight on, uh, some surprises. I wasn't all about Texas tech at all. Uh, the tournament is research proven by a bunch of guys that uh, do algorithms and formulas. Uh, what some people would call, you know, you could do industrial research, you could do educational research, whatever their kind of field of research is, uh, talked about how offenses win 62. No, it was even more than that. Cause it was 24%. So what, that's what 76 offenses in March madness when 76% of March madness games up until when they did their thesis, which I believe was 2016. So that's a pretty high number. Uh, Virginia and Texas tech were two of the top five defenses. So uh, a little bit of a different tournament in that type of way uh, where you have two teams that are highly efficient on the def- defensive end that get all the way to the national title game. I didn't think Texas tech was all that good. I didn't think Virginia's offense was good enough. They really sputtered late and realistically, they actually really didn't really, really play good basketball. They should have been beat by Purdue. Uh, got, got bailed out lucky. There should have been beat by Auburn, got lucky and bailed out there. Uh, I didn't see the Texas tech game at all. I don't know if they got bailed out there also, but um, they really didn't play up to their par. Whereas Texas tech, you know, did their job and did what they needed to do. They didn't really get bailed out by refs along the way. Um, Happy for both, I would say both my wife and I's favorite couple are UVA alum. And, um, you know, we always get the bullshit. Uh, He was actually nice enough. So I didn't answer anybody for almost a week or maybe even more than a week, almost like 10, 12 days. Uh, He was one of the few that actually sent a search party out for me. Paz was another one of them. Um, and kept apologizing despite his team continued to move on in the tournament was more concerned about how I was in my well-being. So, uh, I'm happy for that, man. Um, tough time two years ago, talk about going from the bottom to the top 
but uh, you know, good for you guys. And I know you guys tune in every now and then. So congratulations if I hadn't said anyway, and also congratulations on the, th- the second thing that I heard about earlier in the week. So um, hope you guys are doing well and I'm sure I'll see you soon. Pause uh, your thoughts on the tournament <clears throat> as a whole. Yeah, you're right. Look, tournaments don't need, for me at least, um, tournaments don't need upsets to be, um, you know, to be interesting or fun or whatever. Um, They just need compelling games. And we really didn't see, I mean, I was at your, I was at your house on on the first Friday and what was the closest game? Was it the the Cincinnati loss to Iowa maybe was the closest game that day? Yeah. but every other game was just a total. Yeah. I guess the Kansas State game was a little bit close, but I mean, we so we watched 16 games, and I think we saw two close games uh, that first weekend. So it, it, it was not it was not interesting from that standpoint. First weekend, outside of you know a couple of games here and there, and then obviously the Duke game on that Sunday. Um, but yes, the 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 level of basketball and the the intrigue definitely picked up the second weekend uh the the sweet 16 games were were for the most part pretty good and then the elite eight games were were very good um and yeah i, I look like i said it was it, it doesn't need, there don't there don't need to be upsets for me to to think that a tournament or to to think that the NCAA tournament is great i don't care if every if one through eight seeds win, you know, first weekend, the, the first weekend, and then the one through four seeds win in the, you know, the, the round of 32 and then go from there. I, I, I don't mind that. It's just, I just want to see interesting and competitive games. And we didn't get a lot of that weekend one, which is when you usually get it. Cause you get these, you know, upstart teams and, and uh, you know, mid majors who come in and sort of knock off the, you know, the, the fourth seed in the SEC and the fifth seed in the Big Ten and things like that. But that just didn't happen this year, um, which is fine, like I said. Uh, but weekend two, it really picked up. Uh, the level of basketball really picked up. Um, I thought pretty much every single game, I mean, every every kid was leaving their, their heart out there on the floor and, uh, you know, living and dying with every referee call and, and every missed call, which there was a lot of them. Um, and yeah, it was it was a good tournament overall. Um, I saw so I was at I was at the racetrack on on Saturday of the the Final Four. So I missed most of the Auburn Virginia game, but I was listening on the radio for probably the last three quarters of the of the second half. So I I, I, I listened to about a third of the. Uh, of the Virginia game. Um, and again, you know, based on the, the video that I saw afterwards, um, you know, the, the double dribble was certainly a missed call, but um, I think in terms of the foul call at the end of the game, I think that's just a call that I think it needs to be called. Um, I'm in agreement with the referee. That's the, I, I think that's a foul, uh, you know, at the opening minute of the game and it's a foul in the, the closing five seconds of the game. So I commend the ref for, for making the call and having the balls to do it because um, a lot of guys would probably just swallow their 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 whistle there. And, you know, unless it's a blatant, uh, you know, uh, unless it's a blatant foul call there, they're not going to call anything. So, look, give the guy credit. Um, I'll give credit where credit's due. I mean, I bash them pretty much every every night we talk about basketball. So I'll, I'll, I certainly have to commend them when they do something well. And I think the – 
the guy did that very well there, made a made a good call, but uh, you know, he might have been the one that butchered the double dribble call ten seconds before that. So um, you know, look, either way, um two compelling games. The obviously the uh the Michigan State Texas Tech game was was really good. I, I couldn't believe how well Texas Tech played on the defensive end. Um they every time Michigan State had the ball it really looked like they were going up against more than five defenders. Maybe it looked like they were playing almost like five on seven at times. Uh, the way that uh, Texas Tech was, uh, was clogging up the middle and, and helping on defense. And, you know, it, it, it really looked like Michigan State was just befuddled. And unless, you know, they were drilling threes, they, that's pretty much was their entire offense in that game was with three-point shots. They, uh, they didn't do very well in the paint. They didn't do very well from two. And it was all a credit to, to Texas Tech. I mean, look, Chris Beard has to be considered one of the, the elite coaches now in, in college basketball. I mean, for I think he lost five of his six top six scorers from last season. And he went out, he got a you know, a, a graduate transfer in Owens from uh from St. John's. Um, you know, upperclassman. I mean, he just did it. He did it a different way from the way that, you know, the, the college basketball game is going with these one and done players and, you know, top recruits and, and look, he, uh, he has a hell of a story. I'm, I'm not going to go into it here, take too long, but, you know, he went from coaching in Saskatchewan and, you know, making $11,000 a year and, you know, eating fast food every night because that's all that he could afford to now being one of the best coaches in, in college basketball. And, you know, I'm sure if, uh, a big-time program came calling for him. Uh, they would be, have to offer him a lot of money because Texas Tech would be would be pretty silly to to let him go. Um, he's he's a great coach. Uh, you know, uh, that's I I think he I, I don't know if they they named coach of the year yet, um, but I would think that he would probably be up there in the top three, if not the the winner of that. Um, and uh, yeah, he, look. they'll be back next year I would assume just because there's no reason to think why he couldn't lose you know his top three players again and 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 come back next season so uh yeah good for him good for them uh good for the program and uh good look good for UVA after all they went through last season and the the embarrassment of losing to a 16 seed um you know really a rags to riches type story uh you know being at the lowest of the low to now being highest of the high, and uh, yeah, good for those kids. I mean, a lot of them are upperclassmen as well. I don't know in terms of who they're going to lose for next year. I, I would think that um, DeAndre Hunter will probably go to the draft, but um, yeah, uh, they're already installed as the as the favorites for next season. So for good reason. I mean, they'll they'll most of those guys will probably be back again. And and Tony Bennett has shown now that his his uh, formula and get them to a national title game and not sputter out in the Elite Eight like it has most of the other seasons. So, yeah, congrats to them. Uh, final Four, first championship, and, uh, you know, congrats to Texas Tech as well. Their their first Final Four appearance and their first uh, their first national title game appearance for the program and, uh, you know, only good things and looking up, projecting up for them uh, going going forward as long as Chris Beard is still uh, still on the bench for them. Just real quick before we get into baseball, by any chance did you read the story about the guy who put $1,500 on Texas Tech to win the national title? Yes, and he was being offered uh, – he was being offered uh, you know, like $25,000 and stuff. 
So well, he, wanted, he, he apparently he, wanted like 200000 He got uh, offered before, a bid so for 125 k and said no. But the worst part about yeah. it is he didn't even hedge his bet. And so he, he just said he didn't – nothing. He didn't say – he, he didn't said put he didn't anything believe in hedges. Virginia. Yeah, all he had to do I was mean, put like two Gs on and cover just, and then you're straight. Like who cares? You know what I mean? It makes no sense. You're yeah, going to make a 300000 or be up $500. I mean, just like take it. You know what I mean? It's really, really stupid. I mean, I get yeah, not taking I, I a, mean, a bid to buy out your ticket. Fine. You believe in it. Uh, hey, I'd be I'd be all for it too. I wouldn't take a bid either. But to not hedge at all just to even cover your own ass is really, uh, you know, r- ridiculous. Yeah, I, I did see there was a story out as well about – um, you know, I think they spoke to him and like just kind of the story behind it or whatever. And he did explain that, you know, people have said to me like, oh, I, you know, you can hedge it out yourself, this and that. But he's like, you know, I don't necessarily have that much cash on hand to go in, you know, to, to hedge 90K in this game and then 100K in the next game and whatever. So, you know, look, uh, good for the guy to, to stick to his guns and do that. But yeah, I mean, if I had a ticket like that, I would, you know me, I would certainly be, I, I hate hedging as well. I mean, even in the, the horse racing world, I'll, you know, I'll be hard pressed to hedge out a, you know, if I'm alive to four horses or five horses in a pick five at the end of the day, I, you know, more than likely I will not hedge at all either. I'm just going to trust my opinion and, you know, trust that I'm going to be right. There's no reason for me to, to, uh, uh, you know, lessen my, my ultimate win, but, you know, when you have fifteen hundred bucks on a ticket, I, you know, I'm sure if you're able to, if you're able to put fifteen hundred dollars down on a on a future wager in, uh, I don't know when he placed it, November or whatever. I'm sure you probably have two grand to, you know, to, to put down on Virginia, the spread of, you know, my or even the money line. I'm sure it was probably what minus one thirty because I think the spread was one, right? So or one and a half. So uh, yeah, I didn't even look. One, I don't know. One thirty, one forty. So yeah, yeah at, at, the, at the most, yeah. to cover your. 2k to cover your 500 there um yeah i I mean i certainly would have done that that's for sure um i probably would have put a little more down but uh look i uh, i guess if you're if you're placing a 1500 dollar um future wager in november money probably isn't the you know you're probably not very hard pressed for money anyway um so i could understand him not taking 100k for for the ticket or whatever but um yeah, I, I would have at least just covered my, the cost of my ticket from the beginning. But good for him. I, I'm glad that he – or not I'm glad, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I commend him for having the balls to to uh, for to just let it ride. And it sucks that they were, you know, a DeAndre Hunter three away from, you know, 12 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever it was when he hit that three away from uh, cashing for 300K. And that would have been nice and – would have screwed the books, and that's that's what we all hope for to screw the bookies and uh, screw the books. But uh, it didn't end up happening, so unfortunate. So I got, I have, um, you know, the the bet I had on the William Hill was five hundred dollars uh, risk free or whatever. So I got the five hundred back, and I have to use it because it's considered site credit. I have to, or I have to risk five hundred before I get it out. So I've been like patiently, um, I've really been good with it. I've been patiently like waiting for good spots. So the high in Boston today is, is 19 degrees. Well, tonight for the game, uh, they had a prop over under five, five home runs for the thing. Um, and the over under was 10. So I took, I took both 
and Moreland just hit a solo shot, of course, in my fantasy team. So they only have three home runs, but in 21-degree 20, weather, they score, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. They score uh, eight runs in the third inning and haven't really done anything besides that. It's just, you know, that's why I don't miss it at all. Yeah. Absolutely, that's, like, that's rough. You know what I mean? How do you score? It? You just score eight runs in one inning, and done. You can't score in any other inning because you can't feel your hands. And then you know, Moreland's going to hit a solo shot, and then they'll, they'll hit. Now they're tied, so you know some will hit like a they'll hit like solo shots or something to win it, or you know. All right, um, to the Yanks. Anything else you want to say on the college basketball? No, uh, I think I think ultimately it was a it was a frustrating but fun season. Um, I think we saw a lot of good basketball. We saw a lot of shitty refereeing, but um, I think it was a satisfying end to the season. Um, you know, a lot of times you're you're sort of left hanging, and and you think you know certain things should have happened differently. Yeah, obviously, other than the Duke playing longer, like that's part of the main reason why I was disappointed that Duke didn't play get get further was just because I didn't get to see Zion anymore. Um, hopefully, I get to see him in a Knicks uniform. Maybe that'll turn me on a little bit more to the NBA, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was just a, a satisfying ending, and you know, two really good teams going at it, and they played an overtime game, and it was—I uh, I fell asleep with ten minutes left in the second half, so I can't say it was an exciting ending because I didn't see it. But uh, yeah, I, I just feel like it was a, a satisfying, a satisfying ending. That's all. All right. To the Yankees, um, how can I? I like I hate I hate when this happens um, because typically in baseball I'm, or even my friends they'll always say to me, ask me my opinion about Yankees and Duke, and I'm like I said I'm very straightforward and transparent with my teams, and I always give what my honest opinion is, and typically with those two it's right, uh, especially in baseball because I just know it so well. And I hate when uh, I'm correct about this stuff because especially when it's negative, uh, I've really thus far, despite the injuries have hit the Yankees just spot on. Um, Even my cousin called me two or three days ago and was like, dude, um, he's like, you gave a better analysis today. I listened and came on your guy's show than you did, or than I've heard yet on MLB network and everywhere else. And so, Look, I love baseball. It's what I'm passionate about. It's just a pure sport, and I like, you know, I like to love the Yanks, but um, they're getting to almost a point of unwatchable, honestly. But I'll start with the injuries. Um, I I did not predict the injuries. Anybody that says they can predict injuries, you know, just tell them to tell their story walking. But uh, so let's just start. Uh, Definitely they have a huge, huge, huge injury problem. Um, Look, you're talking – Andahar is is extremely important, in my opinion, the third best hitter in the entire lineup. Uh, Tulowinski, you knew it was coming. It just you were hoping it was you had him for three weeks instead of a week. Uh, Hicks uh, still important back because he's a switch hitter and we're very righty dominant. Stanton, eh, I mean, I guess he's dangerous in a lineup because you don't want to see his name there. To me, I don't mind him being gone. Severino, well, yes, a big one because he's an ace. And um, 
you know, helps you in the regular season. I just don't think he's, he has any stones for the playoffs. So, like I, I've said a billion times, I look at the Yankees as did they get better to be a more successful playoff baseball team. I answered that to you guys as absolutely not. They did nothing to improve a play as a playoff baseball team. But so from that perspective, Severino, whatever, is it very important for the regular season? hundred percent. Is it important for the playoffs? I don't really think so. Sabathia, um, same thing. Uh, I, I would actually don't mind Sabathia being on the mound in a game three or whatever, but neither here nor there. Betances, what's transpiring as a big one, we'll get to. So Andahar, um, threw 25 throws from 60 feet away today. Um, he told, he told, uh, reporters that he felt better than he expected. Uh, he's on a program to throw again tomorrow and they were hoping that he would be able to take, uh, uh, swings off a tee. So I don't know. Could be season ending surgery. This to me, he'll be in limbo all year and he will probably not get surgery. He'll probably come back and it'll be like Josh Donaldson who just literally can't swing by any means. And he ends up becoming a, a, being a waste and people boo him and he doesn't deserve to be because he's not healthy. In my opinion, just go get the surgery. This year's a wash anyway, get it done and come back next year healthy because you coming back at 50% is you could ask a billion guys before you since you're only 24 years old doesn't really work out Tolowinski um they claim that it was a mild calf strain however he hasn't even started running yet so you probably won't see Tolowinski for the rest of the year that's just his pedigree Aaron Hicks he resumed running throwing running and hitting soft toss um they were hoping that he'd be able to take batting practice over the weekend uh, haven't heard any word on it if he is going to be able to make progress. They said he'd still have to go on a rehab assignment and basically start spring training all over again. So at best, you're kind of looking at Hicks, maybe beginning of May, I would say more probably towards mid-May uh, because he's got to go through basically a full spring training again. Stan, uh, they resumed swinging with him. Was that today or yes, yesterday? Um and let's see, they said that they were hoping a rehab assignment would come soon, and he was looking to join the lineup in the beginning of May. Severino, uh, yesterday, he got an MRI. Somehow the grade one latch strain went to a grade two, despite him literally just sitting there. He's now going to be shut down for another six weeks and then get another MRI again. So at the earliest, you are looking at Luis Severino at this point in July because he can't pick up a baseball till the last week of May. He would need to make at least uh, – he would just need to throw again, which would take up all of June, and he probably would need three starts. So you're talking last week of June, first or second week of July. Now, since this went from a one – uh, Noah Syndergaard had a grade three right latch strain. Same thing as Severino, not last year, the year before. Had to get surgery, was out the whole year. I I don't think we see Severino for the rest of the year. Um, 
Sabathia uh, already penciled in to start on Saturday. He'll return from his heart procedure that he had over the weekend, and um, or not, he didn't have the heart procedure of the weekend. He will return over the weekend from being on the DL from a heart procedure he had over what there would be, you know, our winter there, you know, break. Uh, Betances is scheduled to throw a simulated uh, game. Um, the, on Friday, tomorrow, he th- he's been throwing bullpen sessions only. Uh, he is hoping to return at the end of this month. So that's where the Yankees are, um, you know, injury-wise. Yes, a lot of big names. But a lot, that's just a lot of names. Um, LeMayu playing very good baseball. He's batting in 410-ish. Uh, he's 455 on base percentage. A uh, little bit different. I didn't think he would be that important or effective, but that was merely I didn't think Andahar was going to get hurt. I didn't think Tolowinski would be out in the first within the first four games of the season. I just didn't know when he was going to get reps. Uh, has I you know I knew he'd be uh, a good player. I just didn't know if he'd get reps enough and if he'd be able to sit on the bench, come off cold, you know, play three times a week, you know, play one, sit two, play one, sit two. Uh, a lot of people don't respond well to that. And, you know, but now that he's in every day, looks very good, has been kind of shaky defensively. And he's really actually known for being an elite defender with it and a good bat. Uh, His glove has been kind of really weak. I'd have to look up how many airs he has, but he's missed two uh, balls on stolen bases. He uh, made a huge error the other night. I actually think he got saved out of it. No, no, they were actually the runner did get end up scored Uh, stuff that's being hit right at him, too. it's a little interesting. Uh, Frazier's been pretty good on the call-up. Torres doesn't look like he's having any sophomore slump. Judge, as I thought early in the year, hitting for a better average. Power's down a little bit. I don't care at all. Let him be a pure hitter. Uh, Sanchez basically had one good game, uh, and there's really not much to speak of. Stan Andahar not there. Bird and Voigt both haven't really been all that great, so they're kind of just battling. They both got spared time by all the injuries also. Uh, to me, it comes down to one thing and one thing only, which is making them completely hard to watch. Um, with this new protocol that Cashman has as uh, a GM that hires a million-dollar babysitter, um, they literally are the worst fundamental baseball team that I have ever seen in my life. That includes uh, I've done I've coached coaches pitch, I've uh, played minor league baseball, I've played major league baseball, I've played uh, little league uh, minors and majors. I'm referring to I've played college ball, I played high school ball, I played AAU, I've coached uh, college ball, coached wooden bat league, coached travel ball, this that the other thing. They are the worst fundamental baseball team I've seen, and that includes all of those. I coached a, a nine-year-old travel club and an eight-U travel club. They put they have better fundamental baseball than the Yankees, from missing the cut to ta- the routes taken on outfield to pulling up because you don't want to try and use your body for a catch to pass balls to Gary Sanchez has been picked off every single base on the diamond already, and that was by game eight to balls going past catches at the backstop and our guys on third not paying attention, to not knowing when to tag up, to uh, missing the cutoff man, did I mention that already, to trying to bunt in non-bunting situations in a league that doesn't bunt anymore, to hitting directly into a shift of four guys on the same side of the field. It is 
I, I, I've never seen something like it in my entire life. Uh, I played in a, I had the luxury and, and uh, God bless to play in a tournament again and go back to my old roots on Saturday. And uh, there's like nine of the Yankees and we all discuss the same thing. So, uh, you know, sometimes I think I'm a little hard on the Yanks or just hard on my critiquing of baseballs just with the passion I have and, and all the aspect I've been involved in it. Uh, but it's not just me. I mean, it, the fundamentals of this team are so bad. They're never going to get better. Um, they've been so bad since Boone's taken over. And I actually don't blame Boone because it's a straight Cashman. Boone is a merely a million dollar babysitter. I think Cashman calls in the bullpens. I think Cashman sets up the lineups and I just don't think Boone coaches. He's a player's coach. They fired Girardi because Girardi was too tough too tough on the players because he told them straight to their face. You fucking suck today. Learn how to play some defense uh, between pass balls by Sanchez. Also, I forgot to add that in or throwing the ball 20 feet of second base, which is just fundamental up and down throwing. Uh, we had freaking Adovino and uh, Greg Bird, both not know where to go on a, a simple ground ball play, which I'll have you and I'll get any baseball uh, player from here to fucking Hawaii tell you that, in in practice, you run that play with pitchers six times for each pitcher. Left, right, middle, bunt, left, right, middle. You do that pregame, and you do that in practice every single time since you, from age 12 on, maybe even younger at some places. So the fact that the two of them don't even know how to conduct that play as a first base and a pitcher is like any baseball player. Anybody, anybody that played from 12 on, I'm telling you right now, get them on. They'll tell you it's fucking embarrassing. And it's, it's, it's actually last year was tough to watch because they were awful fundamentally. And you just, and you know, others hoped they would get better. I told you it wouldn't get any better until we hire a guy that's not a million dollar babysitter. And I, I, I just can't blame Boone because this is the position in the cards he was dealt. Um, but it's getting hard to watch. And I said, at the beginning of the year, I called this Yankees team to a T uh, to start the season. They were, what something it was insane six for fucking 41 with runners in scoring position and the only six they had were on home runs they played the Orioles this weekend basically every single run they had came off a fucking home run so they didn't improve the pure hitting at all they didn't improve the hitting with runners in scoring position outside the home run everybody can hit an Orioles stadium it's a fucking band box they don't play in Baltimore in, in the winter time and it, and uh, they didn't improve the fundamentals. They didn't improve the pitching staff, the play, playoff-wise. They didn't improve playoff hitting. And it's fucking embarrassing, man. And uh, it just sucks because I called this to a fucking T when we did the preview show. And all from the day I walked out of the elimination game, and that's exactly what's happening. So now this is the what the product that we have to watch for the next till October or September, if we even are able to get there. Um, sorry, pause. I took up like. 10, 12 minutes, but uh, go for it. No, that's all right. Um, you certainly have the uh, the sh- much stronger opinions here. And, uh, look, I I mentioned it earlier with, you know, when I say earlier, I mean, uh, you know, on previous shows where I hate getting fooled by a – like, I hate – I hate thinking and getting fooled by a team when I really know better in the back of my mind um, and just go against it. And because I just, I got totally fooled and look, I understand we're on game, what game 14, 13, whatever it might be. What are they? Six and seven, six and six and eight, whatever. So we're only 
you know, 10% of the way, less than 10% of the way through the season. Um, so a lot can happen, but I mean, look, I, I just, you can't defend some of the moves that they made that, you know, some of the moves that the, the, the numbers guys or Boone, whoever it might be. Look, I, I know that you say that it's, it's not Boone, it's, it's Cashman. It's the, you know, the, the metrics, whatever. Um, but just take this series, for example, I mean, Tanaka basically cruising through six innings at 78 pitches. Yeah. The inning before he got into slightly, uh, you know, a, a slight little jam, but then he works out of it. And during that inning, the guys on the broadcast were talking about Tanaka's numbers first time through the order, second time through the order and third time through the order. And the difference between the first time through the order and the fourth time through the order, I think there was like a, I think it was like they're two thir- they're hitting 234 against them first time through the order, and then they're hitting like 242 against him both the second and third time through the order. So there was no metric anywhere that you could tell me to defend taking Tanaka out of that game, having to face the bottom, I, I think like the sixth place hitter was coming up to start the next inning. So it wasn't like the, the lineup was turning over again and they were going to be facing him for a fourth time. No, he was going to face the bottom four hitters in that inning, you know, in the bottom of the seventh inning with a 3-1 lead at 78 pitches and basically coasting through through the game. I, there's, there's no defense to taking your starting pitcher out in that scenario. I don't care what you tell me. You're a fucking idiot. You are an absolute fucking idiot if you're taking your starting pitcher out in that scenario. And like you, I do not believe the call comes from Boone. Um, I think a lot of these, you know, there's only a couple, there's only a few managers left in baseball that are these high priced, like guys that are really the ones making the decisions. Most of the managers now are like you, like you said, they're basically like these sort of babysitters, sort of, I'm just going to do whatever the, the number crunching thing tells me to do. And that's it. They're, all the decisions are made for them. They're not making any intuitive uh, decisions, any intuitive changes, uh, you know, things like that. They're all coming from behind the scenes, computer analytics, whatever it might be. Um, and the, the, there's, there, it's completely indefensible, and the Yankees rightfully lost that game and blew another 3-1 lead the following night, and then last night were, you know, basically down the entire game and, and whatever. So uh, look, I, I can't defend them anymore. I, I guess you can say if they were healthy, maybe it'd be a different story and maybe we'll get to see that. But right now the Yankees are a, a, a very bad baseball team. They're, they're probably in the bottom, definitely the bottom half of the league, maybe bottom third of the league in terms of just performance on the field. Uh, a lot of these guys are just look awful. Um, I don't know if it's just getting out of the gate slowly, whatever, whatever it might be, but I, I hate Sanchez. I hate him more and more every time I see him play. Um, I still see people defending him. I don't know how you can defend this guy anymore. Um, he's, he's just not a very good baseball player. That's what it comes down to. He's going to hit you a couple home runs in, in one game, and then he's going to strike out and, and commit three errors and two pass balls in the next five games after that. So, great. If he wins you one baseball game, that, that's great, but then he's going to lose you four more after that. So, I'm not sure, I'm not sure where, you know, where, how that one for five ratio uh, 
helps you out in the in the span of a baseball season. But uh, that's that's kind of what he is. Um, and yeah, there's there's really no positives to take from the first 15 games of of the Yankee season, other than Lemayhu's played really well. Judges just being Judge, and uh, I don't know. Is there any other positives? I think those might be the only two positives. Oh, and and Paxton is. It's fucking brutal. He sucks. Um, I can't wow. believe Cashman got absolutely fleeced. I, I can't wait. I really hope Sheffield comes up and he is a total stud. I really hope that that happens because it, it'll just drive home the point even further that you have with, you know, Cashman being an absolute awful GM. And I really hope that that happens. Um, Paxton, he, he sucks. Um, he, he's really bad. And uh, I, I, I don't foresee him getting much better. So, that's really all I have to say. I, I'm not very happy, and I, I'm probably not going to watch the Yanks play for the next few days just to kind of take a back seat and you know, take a look at the results and, and things like that, um, and just not be frustrated with them. But uh, you know, I'll get back on the horse hopefully uh, during the week next week. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, fundamentals aren't going to change, and I, I will touch on Sanchez a little bit and just why also about even more on the fundamentals on Monday when I have more time, but like I completely forgot about how I or any other coach would address that Sanchez situation. But anyway, we're out of time. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, you catch us uncut sports talk, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you could also listen to all these live radio shows, rip back on podcast on iTunes, podcast stitcher radio tune in radio this will wrap up our april 11 2019 show we'll be back on monday hopefully as a world harness champion handicapper uh forty thousand dollars richer which actually i got an email possibly fifty thousand dollars richer but we'll be back on april 15 2019 hopefully fifty thousand dollars richer from your host rhino and your co-host pause we always thank you for tuning in we'll see you on monday later